0: The world is a confusing place, filled with all manner of shimmering distractions, that take our conscious mind and our immortal souls and subvert them into the most basal of human emotions. Can any one of us, who considers ourselves a spiritual being, truly look around the carnival at the barkers, performers, and the caged animals, and believe? even momentarily, that any of this is as it should be. My name is Alan Bishop, the alchemist of the Black Forest of Indiana, distiller, historian, occasional tinker, reenactor, and your host of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything. Everything. Have you ever noticed, the world isn't quite what it presents itself to be? That something is just a little off kilter, just a little out of focus. Perhaps that movement you caught out of the corner of your eye was more than a shadow, that weight on your shoulder more than fatigue. I have lived my whole life like this, aware, awake, and waiting for the next experience, positive or negative always apprehensive, always analyzing. I believe that spiritual warfare is real. I believe from societal observation that others are becoming acutely aware. I believe that many are being influenced by forces unknown in a negative and spiritually deprived way. I see soft disclosure in every corner of pop culture. Join us as we pull back the curtain, as the veil thins and reach with us into the ether to reclaim the truth on if you have ghosts you have everything hey guys welcome back to if you have ghosts you have everything with your host the alchemist of indiana's black forest alan bishop hey little special show this week actually kind of a two-part show It won't be as long as the show has been recently, so maybe 30 minutes per part. They're essentially going to both be bonus episodes, although one will fall on Sunday as a normal episode would, and the second will follow later on this coming week, with hopefully another full show coming next Sunday. I know that sounds confusing. In other words, you're going to get three shows in one week. So I had a show lined up with a very special guest, Kate Henriot-Jaw, who is a uh, direct descendant of the Henriot Sisters of Absinthe fame, if you're at all familiar with the spirit Absinthe and its history. And if you're not, I highly encourage you to check it out, including her book, uh, I'm trying to remember the order of the names here, but I believe it's uh, Alchemy, Absinthe, and Alewives, something to that effect. Go check it out. Her and her husband, Ted, will be coming on the show, hopefully to be recorded this coming week for two distinct, uh, very cool episodes They're both practitioners uh, and and different belief systems, and I can't wait to have them on. They're very good friends of mine, and uh, I think you're really gonna enjoy that. However, we recorded an episode earlier with Kate, and the audio quality just wasn't quite where I was comfortable with, so I had to do something different. Now, years ago... I came across a really interesting website with some French folklore from Vincennes, Indiana. And then for the longest time, I could not find it. I did have one of the stories nearly memorized called The Good Pumpkin Loop Guru. Uh, It's a story that I used to tell at the farmer's market. I've told it to my daughter, Penny. I've told it to my wife, Kim. I've told it to my dad, etc. Every time the term loop guru comes up on a paranormal podcast in reference to the dog man, etc. I always tell them that that wasn't the only style of loop guru. It wasn't always a werewolf because I'd come across this story and I looked and I looked and I looked for years and I never could find this information again. Well, it just so happens when I was trying to edit Kate's podcast and I couldn't get the audio to work the way that I wanted it to, I looked up on Google French folklore from Indiana and I found that old website. And as it turns out, that website was actually a grouping of information that was collected from an Indiana Creole, a Hoosier Creole. Um, I guess I didn't even realize that there was that much still... Uh, French influence by the 1920s, but in the 1920s this gentleman sat down and he told these Loop Guru stories and these stories about magic and the landscape around uh, the Wabash River and Vincennes And I really really fell head first into this stuff. This stuff is right up my alley and I absolutely loved it um, I think maybe the best way to sort of uh, sort of jump into this is to kind of tell you uh, you know Give you a summation from an article that's hosted on that website. Uh, as far as what the loop guru is, uh, and then of course, where these stories came from, if that works for you guys. So the loop guru, to most who believed in him was a fierce werewolf, though in Vincennes as in New York, the loop guru may also be a person transformed into a cow horse or some other animal. Once under a spell as a loop guru, the unfortunate victim became an enraged animal that roamed each night through the fields and forest for a certain period of time usually 101 days during the day he returned to his human form though he was continually morose and sickly and fearful to tell of his predicament lest even a worse sentence should befall him the main way he could be released from the spell before serving the stipulated time was for someone to recognize him as a person transformed to an animal and somehow draw blood from the loop guru even when the disenchantment had been performed both the victim and his rescuer could not mention the incident even to each other until the time was up. Anyone who violated this taboo would become possessed immediately and face a much stiffer sentence. These loop Grew stories and the other supernatural tales were collected in the 1920s by Miss Anna C. O'Flynn, who taught school for many years in the old French section of Vincennes. They have been transcribed and mildly edited from an unpublished Vincent's WPA manuscript entitled The Creole Pioneers at Old Post Vincent's, a product of Federal Writers Project District No. 5, Vincent's Office, by Doyle Joyce, Loy Folliwell, Elizabeth Cargacos. I don't, I don't know if I said that right, but uh, Cargacos? <laughs> I don't know, guys. Uh, Bernice Muchmore, and Paul R. King, circa 1937. The tales were told to Miss O'Flynn by French descendant, Pepe Boucher, who favored the use of French Creole dialect. Now, before we get into this, I am going to warn you, I sent this thing out to a few different people, I sent some samples of it out to a few different people to get their reaction. Because in these stories, I am playing a little bit of a character. I'm not trying to be inauthentic, I'm not trying to present myself as anything that I am not. I'm trying to give voice to a person who's been gone for a long time, right? I'm trying to do tribute to them and represent that style of storytelling the way that it was written. I could have very easily have produced this show the same way that I always do, just by reading it in my, in my normal voice, or nearly my normal voice, what Kim calls my radio voice, and an overlaid music to it. But to me, that seemed far less authentic than what I was trying to do here, Right? Again, these things read in a very certain way. They are written as they were spoken. And as such, you need to do a little bit of a performance to do them justice, I believe. Uh, Some of them thought that I was being a little overdramatic. Some of them really liked it. Some of them thought it was kind of cool. I personally think it's really cool. And I think that if you don't try new things, you're never going to learn what works and what doesn't work. And thus far, every time I've tried something new on this podcast, knock on wood... It has worked. You guys have responded appropriately to the extent that even though uh, it's much harder to put together a narrative show where I'm actually writing up the history or the stories, etc., and then reading those back, those are the shows that seem to get the most attention, such as the Count of St. Germain episode. Now, that being said, what I did here and herein is I did not put any music over top each of these separate stories that were presented in the website we were talking about. I read them as they were, as best as I could, and I'm not very good at French, I'll tell you right now, and obviously my Hoosier dialect still comes across. I did try to be a little bit more dramatic, and I did put a little bit of echo or reverb onto the recordings to give them a little bit more of a feel as though you were talking to a hall or a group of people in an echoey building, right? I thought they deserved that. Now, it's not going to be for everybody, and I understand that, but it's something that I've really enjoyed doing, and I'm going to continue on with episode number two of this a little later this week. I hope you guys enjoy the stories as much as I did. I hope that my reading of them and my French is not too terribly uh, atrocious. Uh, Listen, I just barely speak English, uh, or Hoosierese, or Pekingese, or whatever you want to call it as it is right now, so you know, cut me a little slack here, guys, one way, shape, form, or the other. But uh, I think they turned out pretty cool. They're a little odd for me to try to listen to when I'm editing because I don't like my own voice. And uh, I certainly don't like my own voice when it's dramatic. But anyways, guys, enjoy, set back, relax, do whatever you're doing, driving to work or sitting at home. I do all this stuff because I love you guys and I want to share it with you. That being said, let's jump right into it with a newspaper article from the 1970s. In Pioneer Vincennes, old French warmed up to eerie tales of witches' curses from the valley. Advance, Vincennes, Indiana, August 7, 1977, by Richard Day, Curator, Vincennes Old French House. Witches cast evil spells upon the early settlers of Vincennes, according to old French stories recounted in the January 8, 1891, Vincennes Commercial. It was believed that witches called "cushamas," nightmares used to make women spin and weave and knit all night long. The story also said they turned men into horses and rode them along the Wabash bottoms, through bogs and fins. In the morning, when the French woke up feeling all worn out and hag they would say, "Say, One old man always claimed that this had happened to him. The next day, he said he could see where he had stood and pawed the earth, at the place where the witch had dismounted and tied him and there were marks on the fence rail where he had gnawed as an impatient horse. Even the day after, he still was picking some pieces of wood out of his teeth, the bewitched man said. Witches also cast their spells upon livestock. One day, Jacques Martel found his cow lying in the street. In those days, the French didn't fence their cattle, but let them wander the prairie and the streets of Vincennes. The cow would not or could not get up. Martel knew at once, that she was bewitched. So he tried an old remedy. He fed her a loaf of bread, soaked in beer, but it did no good. Then he remembered that his mother had told him the story of a bewitched horse, that her mother in turn had told her, and that she had heard from her mother, and therefore it must be true. It had happened long ago and far across the sea in the old country. The horse reared and plunged and would not get off its hind feet. They said... That a great terrible hairy man with a long beard such as men never wore scared the horse and after that it would not be still. Then the hairy man had disappeared. The owner, who knew how to beat witches in their nefarious work, got down on his knees and uttered a peculiar prayer. At once his words dissolved the spell on the horse so that it was docile ever afterwards. Martel then called to mind the very words of that prayer and uttered them over his cow who was instantly and miraculously cured, so Martel told years afterward. It was believed that the witches could turn themselves into anything they desired, and in that shape would torment their neighbors. One old French farmer said an old hag had been persecuting him for years, so he had no luck at all. At length, he made a silver bullet, loaded his gun, and went to a deer lick. There he killed the old crone in the shape of a deer. After that, he was not bothered anymore. Not so successful was old William Miner. He had a little pony. He was very proud of it. It ran so fast that nothing could pass it. The wooden wheels of the old-style French cart would spin. The pony went so fast. But one day, the pony suddenly died. Miner believed it died of witchery. He had heard that if a dead, bewitched animal were burnt, the guilty witch would pass by. So he hauled his pony beyond the town limits. At dusk, He piled brush on the body and set it on fire. After a time, a dark, threatening figure approached and slowly moved along. Its lowering scowl was fearful to behold as it passed before the fire and seemed to smell the odors of the roasting body. The figure had the shape of a large and powerful man with a big Mackinac blanket, as they called them in those days, on its broad shoulders and stretching down to the ground. It was Garen, the wizard. Miner was hidden close by, but he realized that the evil being knew he was there. Still, he had courage to shoot at it three times with his rifle. The wizard caught the bullets as easily as a boy would catch a ball of yarn and threw them away. A similar story appeared in June 28, 1888 in the commercial in connection with the demolition of the old Bishop's Block, so-called after Bishop de la Hollandaire, who bought it in 1842 and later sold it to General Myers on the south side of Main Street between 4th and 5th. An old timer on the scene recollected the brick in that building was burned on Bunker Hill. And he added with a laugh, there used to be a story told that a witch was burnt in the kiln. You see, the fire in burning a brick kiln has to be kept up night and day. This required two sets of men, a day force and a night force. The night men claimed that a witch was being burned alive in the fiery kiln Every night, they said, we can see her sitting there, amid the blaze in the arch of the furnace. She sits there with a young child folded in her arms, quietly looking down at us. She never speaks, nor never makes the slightest effort to get out. She is a witch, otherwise she would long since have been consumed. The mysterious burning of the witch was accounted for by General Goyer, who had the contract for burning the brick for General Myers. There was an old woman named Miner, he said who was accused of being a witch. She was believed to have the remarkable powers usually attributed to the witched. She could, it was thought, bring on fits and sickness, or even death to a man or beast at will. Goyer continued his story. My horse died, and I knew it was by her devilish power. I heard that the only way to punish the woman was to burn the body of the horse on Sunday morning in a log heap in front of the brick kiln. I dragged the carcass of my horse to the front of the kiln and piled on the logs. We set the pile of logs on fire and sat down to watch. As the fire began to roar and crackle in the brush, she tried to hide from us and we watched her. She gradually drew nearer, being drawn nearer as her charm began to be broken. She was plainly using all her force to overcome the power that was drawing her into the fire of the kiln. The next instant we saw her enter the eye of the kiln, right in the fire, We looked in and could see her looking down at us as she sat in the arch in an awful fire. After a while, we saw that she held a child in her arms. In pity for the child, we put out the fire, yet she continued to sit there in the fire after that, day after day. That is why those brick were not very well burnt. They are poor brick. We had bad luck with that kiln on account of the witch. The Good Pumpkin Loop Guru, as told by Pepe Boucher. In the past, everybody had their own garden. Everyone liked his garden and took good care of it. Jacques Cabassier, he loved his pumpkins most of all. He fertilized the ground, he poured water, and nobody had pumpkins like Jacques. It paid him back by growing big. Many French had farms on both sides of the Wabash River and went across to work in them. Jacques went more often than the others. One dark and stormy night, he started home, but he never got back. His wife and children looked for him. His friends went over and looked for him. When the river turned to ice, everyone said Jacques was lost, frozen, and he'll come no more to Vincennes. The winter was long and cold. The river was frozen for more than three months. Christmas and New Year's was sad for Madame Cabassier and her family, with no kind father and husbands. Many feared he had been bewitched. That February, the sun was so warm that the trees began to get leaves. The ice was all gone from the river, when some men saw a big gold cup out in the center of the river. The men thought they saw come up from the cup, Well, you wouldn't guess it in years. It was Jacques Cabassier riding on his best horse. Everybody looked and waited for him as he rode from the gold cup up the river bank to the group of people. He and his horse were covered with a net of gold. He laughed and threw a piece of gold in the crowd. Charlie Page caught it for he was not afraid and he said, Jacques, if you aren't allowed to tell then ride on, but if you can tell then stop and entertain us. Jacques laughed and replied oh it has only been 90 days and one so i can talk it was my good pumpkin loop guru bien mon ami drawled Jacques i went down to the farm on the other side of the river when i tried to come back the ice was on top of the river and i thought i would die but i lived and when the ice was gone bien you saw me come on my horse from my great pumpkin i tell you now it turned to gold on the outside but inside it was good to eat All the seeds turned to gold. I have my pockets full of golden seed. Charlie Page interrupted. I've got the one that you threw when you neared lands. We will pull in your good old pumpkin for you. I'll bet it will take many horses to pull. Everyone was willing to lend a horse for the pool. Someone said they heard the wind say, Don't pull to lands. My, the others laughed at him and pulled the good pumpkin to lands. It took 50 horses. When the first side hit the land, it turned to a rotten pumpkin. The horses were far up on the bank, and the man at the head of them cracked his whip. All the horses jumped, and the entire gold pumpkin was pulled up the bank. Every bit of it was merely rotten pumpkin. Then the people remembered the golden seed, and when Jacques dropped it on the ground, it was still golden. When the pumpkin lay there, it made a big hill of ripe pumpkin as large as a barn. Oh, Pepe, who could believe this story, his listeners asked. It's the most incredible of all, a pumpkin big enough to hold a man and his horse, big enough to furnish them sustenance for three months and then have enough remaining to make a small hill out of its golden walls. Pepe replied, you must know it is a good loop guru that saved the life of the man who took good care of it when it was just a petite pumpkin. You bet it gave good measure in its seeds, and there were more than 901 of them. To all questions as to how the man and his horse got inside the pumpkin, without the water flowing in, and how they breathed encased in the golden waterproof shell, Jacques' response was, You ask many questions like a lawyer. Well, I never ask. It is not the way. We... I always raise huge pumpkins, and all vegetables... And I try to be kind and take care of all things that grow and live. And they repay me by growing large and being good to eat. You are Americans. That is the difficulty. I don't believe in all the idle stories. I like to make you laugh and ask questions. This is a compliment to my power when I tell unbelievable stories. The White Eagle Loop Garoo, is told by Pepe Bochet. The White Eagle Loop Garoo was a great friend to his master who was a great hunter. Swadonair, they called him. He came early from Canada and left his wife and children in Quebec. That be many, many miles. In those days, it took a long time to travel, so no man who wants to hunt and trade with the Indians can make a trip every month. Bien, this hunter... Swadonnet, he seemed to die of homesick for many day. Moi, the next morning he'd be the happiest man in the tannery camp. He whistle and sing old love songs, edit bother man's with wife away in Canada. Then the other man ask, Swadonnet, how can you be so gay today when last night you cry with me from homesick? Then Swadonnet say, i be glad because I'd be at home last night. Everything go well. My children, my wife, talk of their love for me and wish I'd be at home. Ma foi! I want to shout and laugh and say I am here, moi. I cannot do that. At your house, they all be eating and smile. I'd not be allowed to enter your house, just look through the door half open. This partner says, be you crazy? You talk with no sense. You never left me till the sun be pretty low, and now you be back with the sun. I tell you, you best rest, or your mind be turned. This is when Swadne laugh and laugh. You not know, I grieve so. I change into a bird and fly, oh me fly like an arrow home, home to my wife and children. I saw them and I fan their cheeks with my wings. I fly to your home, they be as I say, then I come back to my own home and rest under arcade all night to watch my family. I hear their happy voices talk of me, the first thing in the morning I fly back to work for them. Let's work hard and fast today, and go home soon with our furs. I must not kill my bird life, by use too soon or sue too often, or I deprive of turning to a bird, a white eagle, when I must see my family or die. Swadonair went to his beaver traps, whistling, happy, because he thinks he sees his family. Hey guys, Alan Bishop here, the alchemist of Indiana's Black Forest. Sometimes you just want breakfast for supper, am I right? Maybe you spent too much time in your local watering hole and they ain't got nothing on the menu and you don't feel like making fuck for supper. Sometimes I bet you wish you could just turn the clock back a decade or two. Maybe visit your favorite rural mom-and-pop restaurant, the one of your childhood, steak and eggs, wood-paneled walls, proper sweet tea, Your favorite line cooks, Odell Bishop. Black and white pictures, the local news, maybe the Andy Griffith Show. How about a glass of absinthe to go with it or Hoosier apple brandy? You can have all this and more at the Golden Eagle. At the Golden Eagle Tavern, we serve the best Southern Hoosier appropriate breakfast food and you can get a glass of house distilled rye, bourbon, or an American whiskey cocktail. The Golden Eagle. Come for the food. Stay for the spirits. Now, don't you wish it was real? Me too. Your favorite podcast, If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything, is looking for sponsors. And this spot could be yours. If you're interested, just reach out to us at thealchemistcabinet.com or bishopshomegrown at gmail.com. Charlie Page's Loop Guru Story is told by Pepe Boucher. Page was a daredevil kind of a man who haunted in the woods and feared nothing. He carried a dirk or a big long blade knife that opened and shut with some kind of spring on its back. All he did to open the blade was press his finger on the back and poof, it was open. There'd be plenty of Indians in those days and they knew Page and his big knife. Still, Page and the Indians be pretty good friends. They know he not be afraid of them or their medicine man. In fact, he not think of heaven or hell with fear. One night, he was going home out past Vinegar Hill. A great big black dog stood in the path and growled and gnashed his teeth at Page. The dog did not seem to know that Page never got out of any animal's path. So there it stood, and even with Page said... Abastian, Then, wagging his hand, said, "Orevoir." Other dogs get out of the big man's way when he wave his hand. This one come advancing with hideous howls and gleaming red eyes that be like coals of fire in the black of nights. Then Page he be mad at the dog and he say, "Bate noir, vol, vol." No, the black beast did not fly away from him. Nor did it turn its eyes from his. With a great leap, it came near to him by five feet. Then Page cursed and lifted his big foot to kick it in the jaw. With a stealthy panther-like movement, the great frothing beast sprang at his throat. You bet this time he tried to kick and get his knife to finish the dog, whose hot breath was singeing his hair, whose great paws were tearing his shoulders, and whose fangs were near his neck. With one of his powerful arms, he grabbed the neck of the dog and told his tongue hung to hang out, the shaggy hair on the dog's neck be lashing his face, and his eyes blazing with madness. The Loop Guru be trying to bewitch Paige. He know now it be Loop Guru. He know that nothing but blood could save him. Struggling to use his knife, the beast pushed the point against Page to make him draw his own blood. Now, had Page not been almost a giant, he would have turned right into a Loop Guru throwing his whole strength into the struggle. He pushed the knife through the shaggy fur deep behind the forelegs of the loup It's Sakre! There in the flash of an eye, the beast disappeared in flames as the blood spurted from his veins. Then Paige saw, what do you think? I'll be doggone, you're never gonna guess. There stood Paige with his shoulder scratched, his hair be singed, his nose poisoned with sulfur breath of the wolf, His knife reeking with the blood of the cursed Loop guru And facing him stood his best friend, Jean Vital. They look and look at each other. Ma! They spoke no word. Soon they part, each going to his own home. The knife had cut Jean Vital's arm near the elbow. He doctor it, and soon it be well. And then he be delivered from the Lupe-Guru power. Page and Vital never spoke of the horrible animal for one hundred and one days. Moi, everyone saw that Vital be powerful kind to Paige. Vital be a rich man, much richer than Paige. Be so, he give Page a horse and a cow after one hundred and one days be over and gone. They tell their friends and everyone understand how well Vital treat Paige. You want to know about that time now? Bien, the time sometime be a year and a day, Sometime a week and a day, or it be one hundred and one days. Always the extra one day. Bewitched treasure, Point O'Sheen, as told by Pepe Bochet. No, no, this not all be Loop Garoo of this place. I tell you now about Point O'Sheen. You know where Point O'Sheen be down on the Wabash River below Vincennes. All around that place be charmed. If anyone cut wood to build a house, it be aight. The limbs of the trees he wants, making the wood to burn, and the limbs he pile to make a bonfire, disappear as they be chopped off. No trace of them do we ever see, if they not turn to the thick underbrush, which grew and grew everywhere around the river bend near Point O'Sheen. Of course, other things happen at that place. When one look around on the ground for the limbs he cut from the tree he sees silver snuff boxes combs with high silver filigree for woman's hair gold rings with bright gems glitter on them silverware for the cree sugar and coffee they be so beautiful and so bright that everyone want them there be fine lace like the cobweb of spider silk that seemed woven by the sunbeam one by one Men go to the place to pick up the treasures lost by a Spaniard long before George Rogers Clark came over the stream. We, many pieces of silver, lace, and silk he got. They say they must be paid for in some awful manner. They were goods the devil tempts people with. One time a man had a silver candlestick, plates, combs, and cups, and his wife had much lace. Silk and silver backcombs, their children be none, and when some borrow nice white corn mill from them, when the corn mill be in the other house, it be musty and green, when he gets home and opens a sack, his wife feed it to the dog and it die, no one borrow mill more than once from man and woman, who get things from Point O'Sheen. Well, there you have it, guys. The bonus episode of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything. All about the Loop Guru folklore around Vincennes, Indiana. Be on the lookout for part two that'll be coming up probably about the middle of this week, maybe late in the week. We'll see how quickly I can get it done. Before we leave here, though, a couple of things. I sent the clip of the Good Pumpkin Loop Guru to someone whose opinion... I really, really trust, and someone who I love very much and look up to very much. The wife of my good friend, Michael Stallings, Miss Sandra Stallings. And I think that Sandra really enjoyed that story, and I think that Mike would have really enjoyed that story. He probably would have tried to have written a song around it, is, is my honest opinion. But Sandra enjoyed it so much so that she sent me, ironically, she was sitting down and going through some of Mike's sketchbooks, as well as. Some of his journals And for those of you who don't know Mike Stallings was a Very close friend of mine A uh, moonshiner and distiller From uh, He lived in Kentucky Estill County, Kentucky Who passed away last year We call him the patron saint of heathen distillers uh, Saint Sparrow Because everyone called him Sparrow Anyways, apparently as Sondra was looking through these journals At the same time I sent her The clip of the good pumpkin loop guru She sent me back what you will see as the cover art of this episode. And I asked her for permission to use it, and she said absolutely. And we both thought that it would fit this episode very, very well. And it's a little tribute to my brother Mike Stallings, but if you go read it, it says this. Welcome to my sketchpad. You may enter at your own extent, but be sure not to question my insanity. For I smile in the face of spirits and laugh at pumpkins. So go to the next page. Anyways, guys, if you have anything to share, any paranormal, 14, or high strangeness stories, anything you want to talk about with spirituality, or anything that you think fits into the very wide-ranging, questionable boundaries of if you have ghosts, you have everything, then please reach out to us at bishopshomegrown at gmail.com. Love y'all. See you soon.